Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello and welcome to the Raptors Over Everything podcast via Sports Canada. I'm your host, William Lou. Joining me on the podcast, the first ever guest of uh, the show back when it first launched in 2019, uh, March. Blake Murphy of The Athletic. Blake, my guy, what's going on? What's up, man? How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Look, the weather's been really nice, so it's been able to go outside every single day, which has been cool. Um, Getting out on that bike or what? You know, so recently, me and my partner bought a car, so we've been driving more, unfortunately. Well, I mean, unfortunately for me, I would prefer to to bike. I don't actually drive itself. But uh, no, we've been getting to go to the East End and stuff, so. What's in the East End? What do you mean, what's in the East End? The beaches, man. No. Come on. Pick me up on your way, man. All right, maybe maybe you drive we'll... right by me if you're heading out that way. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say after your uh, after you get your second shot, we'll we'll, we'll see what happens soon. Um, soon, summer league's happening, and then the next step after summer league is the Raptors Republic three on three tournament. Yo, we'll, we'll figure that out. First off, that's only one step down from the summer league. <laughs> okay. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I would say CBL next, and then and then well, maybe CBL is even higher than summer league in terms of like, I was gonna say actual basketball yeah. because you get like. Those guys are like pros who have a couple seasons of of playing and figuring it out. And but I guess they're the guys that instead of it being rookies on the fringe of the G League, it's like vets who are like, okay, I'm too established for the G League kind of thing. Mm. But uh, yeah, I mean, I I heard the uh, the winners of the next Raptors Republic three on three tournament will represent Canada in the the next FIBA three on three Olympic qualifying. Absolutely, so big big stakes. Uh, big, big stakes. <laughs> this is why we have you on. The first off, the last month plus of the podcast, if people haven't noticed, I've really just called my friends because um, there's not a lot of Raptors news. Got to stretch it a little bit to get to an hour. So uh, this is why we have you on, Blake. But also we have you on because I got to ask you, like, who is the best all-time Raptors Public 3 on 3 tournament player? Oh, I don't know. I don't know the guy's name, but there was that one team that won three years in a row. Um, so it'd be someone off that team. Mm. I will say, 
probably the the most talented team. I think the team that won a couple years in a row was called Mag Seven or something like that. I'm getting their name wrong, but if they're listening to this, reveal your best player. He's he's going in the RR three on three Hall of Fame. I was gonna say we got to retire some jerseys, man, because yeah. eventually, because I think post pandemic, a lot of people aren't gonna have the same level of fitness. So yeah, you know. I remember uh, one the the first year we did it when it was five on five. Skeets had a really good tournament. Okay, uh, he. You know, he got knocked out by your boy in the in the semifinals on, on the way to the ship for, wow. for my team. But uh, wow. yeah, um, who did you have on your cool. team? Because it was definitely wasn't you doing that. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It was uh, this guy named Mike, a guy named uh, John, okay. a couple other guys. Basically, um, I wasn't planning on playing, and then because I I was just running and it was five on five, and that one was at the Raptors practice court. So it was like needed a little bit more like admin running, mm. and then like they're just like there were a bunch of teams that signed up and a bunch of individuals that signed up and there were like two empty spots left. And I was like, screw it. I'll play. And then ended up winning it all. Yeah. Uh, like, yeah so I, I so, so you were Jeremy um, Lin, basically. Is that, was that what you're telling me? You're Jeremy Lin with the, with the 2019 Eric Raptors? Lin, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I would say lower than Lin because there was no Kyle Lowry, like whispering to me, like, yo, you going to come play with us. You going to run with us. Oh, uh, word. <laughs> That's a, that is a great story, man. First off, uh, yeah, Jeremy had a really good appearance on all the smoke podcasts. So if you haven't listened to it, go for it. Um, it's a, it's a really nice interview. Uh, but also, yeah, man, shout out Kyle Larry. So, so, so Kyle does recruit because every, see, this is a small thing that, you know, it doesn't really burn people, but you know, every single time it's the off season, he's always like, well, you know, these guys have their own decisions to make, you know, I won't, I won't pressure Kawhi to stay. I won't pressure, you know, DeMar to resign. I won't pressure these guys. But you know, once in a while, Kyle does recruit. You know, for special guys like like Jeremy, so it's it's good to know. Also, like, just I, I feel like just the presence of Kyle is a recruiting tool. Like, first of all, when you're on the court, I'd imagine he's very high on the list of like, God damn it, I don't want to play against this guy. Yeah, seriously, like, he's so annoying. Um, and then like, you know, you get to the you get to this stage. Maybe this wasn't true when he was thirty, but now like we were talking about at the start of last season, like, oh, could the Raptors get in the mix for Harden? And it's like, Kyle makes the math work, but without Kyle, Harden, a guy like Harden probably doesn't want to come to Toronto. Mm. And you could look ahead to, you know, a a trade in the summer this year, or like even, you know, look at the draft and the way things could shake out. Like Kyle suddenly being like the veteran mentor that he was this past year, fourth in teammate of the year voting. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Kevin McHale, mind blown. Kyle wow. Lowry, fourth and teammate of the year voting. <laughs> yeah, no, I, that is that's that's part of Kyle's story. That's really cool. Is that like he he really matured like in front of everyone's eyes. Um, so it's publicly. also it's also a little weird. Like, yeah, the the publicly caveat is interesting because like I've heard stories for years about how Kyle's actually a really good teammate and does all this stuff behind the scenes, and he just like he doesn't like people to know for whatever reason. Like mm. he's. Who was it? It was uh, it was Norm shared in the Players Tribune that him and that Kyle and Demar took him suit shopping. Right, right. And like that's something that like Kyle wouldn't want that out there. Kyle wouldn't want out that he picks up meals on the road. Um, I remember one time, and maybe this was just Kyle being Kyle with media stuff, but like he doesn't. It, he was like helping Pascal with his three point shot after practice, and like wanted the cameras turned off so no oh, one whoa. could like like he didn't I, I don't I didn't ask him about this but like it seemed like he didn't want it on Instagram from the you know like poor Sohill can't get can't get a picture off of wow. of Kyle helping Pascal with the shot and um you know like there's other stuff too like he, he takes he comes through those summer development sessions and like 
takes mm. the new guys for hot Pilates or whatever. You know, it's a, uh, it's nice that Kyle's finally like letting people see him as a good guy instead of demanding to be, to have this like prickly brand just with us, just with the media. Yeah, no, um, Man, I, I miss just waiting for Kyle. I don't know. That's the small things you miss in the pandemic. This is like later in the podcast. We'll talk about this sort of like um, what's been like covering the team remotely for the last like 18 months. But I just remember the last time we got Kyle Lowry at practice because he was hurt and then he came back. We waited like two hours just like because basically when you're <laughs> if you go to practice, you're you're basically waiting either in the media room of the in the practice facility or um, along the sideline of the first of the two courts. And that's it. You're just in this like small sideline space and you're holding a bunch of camera gear or whatever and, and mics or whatever. And um, yeah, Kyle, <laughs> we waited two hours. Kyle finally comes out in this like huge um, camo parka and, and Tim's untied Tim's came over. He's like, you guys are losers for waiting for me. <laughs> and we were like, yo, you're literally Kyle. Larry. You're coming back from a, like a month long injury. We got to talk to you. No, but I mean, no, but this is uh Kyle's really, you know, I mean, what what Kyle does for the Raptors is is what you do for uh, fellow Raptors reporters. So you know, I don't think that's true. And um, you know, listen, you did put a lot of people on. So um, let, let's talk about um, actual basketball for a while. Look, I want to talk about Gary Trent, um, and I want to talk about the Raptors rookies this season. But first, let's talk about the playoffs. Um, I think the number one topic on everyone's mind right now is Cameron Payne. It is Cameron Payne. Absolutely, right? Because Raptors when he, trade Quebec City legend Cameron Payne. Another player that Masai Ujiri missed on, just like how he drafted Bruno ahead of Jokic. <laughs> <laughs> I do love yeah. these. It's it's really funny when you can when you can point to these things out. Shadow campaign. No, but I mean the real question is like is Brooklyn just this dominant where we're like, you know, this is obviously a super team, but it's like maybe it's not a super team that we saw and viewed with that sort of same fear as other super teams in the past. Um, because what they've done to Milwaukee through two games, of course, Milwaukee are frauds or whatever, right? But like weeks, most people expected this to be a very competitive series has not been competitive. They're literally down 50 points as if Bruno was out there. Um, so yeah, uh, is uh, my question is, is Brooklyn out of reach the way maybe let's say the KD Warriors were? No, I don't think so. Just because, you know, we've seen how quickly wins can change. Right. And, you know, Milwaukee has not looked anywhere as good in these first two games as say the Raptors did against Milwaukee when they got down 2-0. But things can change quickly, right? You you find the right adjustment or or there's an injury or a rotation tweak and things start to fall into place differently. Now, having said that, um, I am overwhelmingly confident in Brooklyn pulling out this series. I think Philadelphia has looked pretty out of sorts against Atlanta and, you know, Embiid's health is obviously a big question. And then, you know, the West, if we're, if we're knocking off Denver, like Denver with MPJ playing well and Jamal Murray healthy is a much different story than Denver right now. Um, And like, as good as Phoenix is, I don't know that, you know, I I still don't know if there's that like league wide fear in Phoenix. Um, So, you know, it's kind of, I would imagine like the, the average person is looking ahead to like Clippers nets as the potential team that could stop them there. Um, but they're, the nets are crazy good, man. And, and I think, you know, super team, they're an interesting team to discuss the super team thing around because they haven't had James Harden for most of this time in this playoff run. And, and Kyrie and KD is still super team ish uh, and Deandre Jordan. Sorry. I can't believe I left them out. Well, come on. Um, 
But I think what the what the Nets have nailed better than any of these other so-called super teams, and they managed to pull this off even with having to trade real assets for James Harden, is you look at all their complementary pieces and they all fit, right? Like like you look at the the Lakers and to a lesser extent the Clippers and even some of the the Bucks guys when you get outside of six seven, and it's like okay, you you tried to get guys, but like what is the cohesive idea here? around Giannis or around LeBron and Anthony Davis. And obviously, you know, health was the the biggest factor for the Lakers, but they also had like a bunch of old guys and a bunch of guys who were just like unplayable come playoff time, which really um, closed that margin for error. You look at Brooklyn and Joe Harris is is such an obvious offensive compliment as just like, Hey, if you're going to have to pay attention to Kyrie and KD, you know, here's this unbelievable shooter who can get really open and at least, you know, is not a, a complete, you know, turnstile on defense. And then you look at a guy like Bruce Brown and, and it takes some creativity to figure out how you use Bruce Brown with a group like this. But, you know, you look at what he does defensively and then it's like, okay, if he can do, you know, do whatever with him offensively uh, and, and make it work. And you can kind of go down the roster like that. Like Nick Claxton is, is like, he's such a good example of, of how, you know, if you get, even if you find one of these raw, long athletic bigs, if they have like a little bit of playmaking juice to them and they don't, you know, when you're using Claxton in screen and roll or he comes down with the offensive rebound or whatever, that doesn't stall out your offense or lead to a turnover. You know, that that's such a multiplier skill for the fifth guy in your rotation. So, um, you know, Mike James is another funny one where like, if James Harden is healthy, Mike James has no place playing right now, but he, he he's almost like this. No, he's, um, he's Mike James Harden at the moment. He's, yeah. He's, but he's Pacific Mall, James <laughs> Harden. Um, but so, so I, I really like how Brooklyn's built around these guys and, you know, if every team is healthy, like maybe they're not the favorites. We'll, we'll see like the, the size is a, a bit of their ability to play against size, a bit of a question mark, especially with Jeff green down. Um, but like Blake Griffin's been way better than he was in Detroit, which is, is funny, but like really meaningful too. So um, I don't know, you can go up and down the roster like that. And it's just, it's a lot of role players who fit a specific role rather than stockpiling like guys who have had a good playoff series before and are 35 and will sign for the minimum. So um, you know, the tax bill is not going to be friendly for them probably. And it's going to be hard. Like you're going to run into kind of the, the, that thing where all these guys are going to want more money and like Dinwiddie's a free agent and you might not get anything for him and all that stuff. But for right now, they're built, they're built really well around Kyrie and KD. And obviously if Harden's back, uh, I don't know, man, I don't know how you defend that team if Harden's back and, and is even like 80% healthy. Yeah, no, it, it's, it's look, this team is first off just very terrifying at the moment. Um, to your point about the salaries, yeah, it, it's going to be very high. So right now they're $166 million um, for this season in salaries. Next season, that goes up to 176. Uh, guaranteed total is 154. Uh, that's Yeah, because that's that Spencer 176 is, is with Dinwiddie, right? Yeah, and Bruce Brown with the qualifying offer. I mean, to be honest, they probably qualify Bruce Brown. Um, they they'll to... qualify him, but I, I guess he's going to get more somewhere else. Like, he that's... probably played as well way into some a chunk of the mid-level or whatever anyway that's that's true but honestly like the way he's important to brooklyn i, I mean listen if you have all these guys here you might as well pay the money i know joe size yeah. not, not definitely not uh not not broken any means so and and this is the thing right is like if you're if you're another team and you're trying to pluck bruce brown like you're not even though bruce brown is not old like he's only 24 he'll be 25 and in, in free agency 
you know, you're not plucking Bruce Brown to be like a piece you're building with. I don't think because like we're seeing this year versus last year in Detroit, how valuable he is in a defined role where he can be kind of like this unique specialist, Mm -hmm. like almost literally a six foot four center on, on offense. Um, He's like a a supercharged Ronde from last year. Oh man. Uh, So yeah, I I don't know, man. He's one of those guys where like, you know, we've talked about this with Lowry in the past where like, yeah, maybe teams aren't willing to pay what it takes for Lowry because Lowry actually is more valuable to the Raptors than he is to someone else because, you know, that the kind of institutional knowledge and just how much he means the franchise and stuff. Well, you have Bruce Brown and through that, it's a little bit more of a role-based kind of endowment effect where you're like, no, he actually is more valuable to the Nets because he can play this role and they have the guys to make that possible. Um, and he's like, he's a dot connector for them. So I don't know, man. It's, it's look, you have Harden, Durant and, and Kyrie. You're always going to be in cap hell, but you're yeah. also always going to be in the time mix. So it's, uh, well, that's the thing though. The rotation good problems. The rotation is pretty solid even beyond that. Cause for most super teams, like, okay, after the first few guys, like it really falls off. Like Joe Harris is locked up long-term. It, it's a lot of money, but he's definitely worth it. They got Shamit at least for one more year at, Three million, which is he's a rotation player. Bruce Brown, you know, okay, they'll qualify him, but they have a chance to keep him if they want to. Nick Claxton as well. Um, you got to figure Jeff Green's just gonna be on minimums the rest of the way. He'll probably stay. Like, is Jeff have- Green allowed to re-sign with the same team though? I, or does know, he have to try? Is does he have to keep going to play for all thirty franchises? Um, you know, <laughs> that's a good question. <laughs> how many how many franchises do you think Jeff Green has played for already? I'm he gonna- has played for. It depends if you count Seattle and OKC as different. Let's, let's play do for it. the Sonics. Let's do that. Wow. This if is they're a lot. different ones, he's played for 11 different teams. <laughs> 10 if you if the Sonics and Thunder are all one for you. Listen, the Raptors could use Jeff Green off the bench. I feel like we've been saying this for like the last six years. When yeah. did he leave Boston? By the time he got to Memphis, it was like, yeah, you know, who would be good off the bench? Um, yeah. yeah. A- after he got traded for first round picks like 100 times. That, that is true. Yeah. I don't understand why um, he, he kept filling. Um, he yeah, from like, 2000, from like 2011 to 2016, he cost you a first round pick. And then from 2016 to 2030, he's going to cost you the veteran minimum. Yeah. No, this is a, uh... yeah, this is unbelievable. Meanwhile, nobody will give up a first round for Kyle. Anyway, um, <laughs> this is a, uh... yeah. So, I mean, the thing with Brooklyn for me is a, like, I think they're the kind of super team where there's not much sacrificing for any of the guys because they, they're moving the ball so well together. They're playing really well collectively a lot of these guys are playmakers for one another. And there really isn't that, like, I think with a lot of super teams, you, you you remember in recent history, there's, like, some small concession. Like, KD really wanted to play a lot of ISO, even though the Warriors moved the ball beautifully, which wasn't really a problem. That's, like, the, mo- the, the ultimate um, first-class problem is, oh, my God, KD wants to play ISO. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, you know, even before that, like, if you think about the Heat, like, I think the way Dwayne Wade played, you know, the way, even with LeBron, there wasn't that much shooting on the wing, so you really needed shooting everywhere else. Um, you know, just like super teams usually have some small concession, but this one just fits together really well. Yeah, KD and, playing and the way is, defensively is too, is just like, man, it's, it's tough, yeah, man. I think the East might be out of reach for like at least one or two years. And I Brooklyn. think, I mean, health dependent for sure, because all three of those but guys. They, they don't even have issues. James Harden right now, and they're just washing the, 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 the Bucks. Yeah, I uh, it, it's interesting because like a lot of the so-called super teams, you know, have had at least one, sometimes two dominant one-on-one players, right? Like you mentioned the Heat, 
And LeBron and Dwayne Wade are both guys that, like you said, they, at, at that point weren't established outside shooters. Um, you know, Wade, obviously like an all-time cutter, but but still you're figuring that out on the fly. Bosch had to learn kind of a new role at both ends of the floor. And, you know, I, I do think there are, there can be diminishing returns to one-on-one play uh, mm-hmm. against modern switchy defenses, but I don't think there are diminishing returns to shooting and passing. I, I think it's the opposite. Yeah. And I think the more shooters you, if you can have five shooters on the floor and all five of those shooters can attack a closeout and make the next pass, then, you know, every decision point you make on defense, you can kind of like a thousand cut a team to, to death on, yeah. on offense where it's like, okay, you make a small concession to stop KD and he whips it around. And then you have to make a small concession to catch up to Kyrie. And then there's a small concession because Joe Harris has come open off the ball. And then suddenly Nick Claxton is open for an alley-oop and that's possible because Joe Harris can dribble into floater range and throw that lob pass. Like, like you pile those things on top of each other and it gets harder and harder to defend. And it's one of the reasons that like I, for the Raptors, like skill number one, I'm looking for if they, if they play the big man market or, or they go the draft road is like, you, you've got to be a guy, especially if they're going to slot you in at, at center minutes or, or like those kind of combo forward minutes with Siakam and OG, you got to be able to play dribble handoff. You got to be able to, to move the ball a little bit because, you know, that's, obviously not every team is going to be blessed with this level of one-on-one talent where the nets get down to six seconds in the shot clock. They're fine. They've got mm-hmm. Kyrie KD and Harden. The Raptors get down to six seconds in the shot clock and Fred's falling out of bounds trying to get a, a layoff on, off. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's true. And, yeah, and no, so that's true. why, yeah. you know, for a team that's in the position, a position like the Raptors. And if we're trying to take lessons from the success of a team like the nets, understanding the Raptors can't just replicate having three of the best scorers in the world. You know, one of those things is I think, Hey, you can't have, you can't have reset spots in your offense where the defense can kind of catch up. And so I think that's, you know, the Raptors have done well to manage around having some offensive limitations with a lot of their depth pieces the last couple of years, but yeah, that's a, you know, those connector skills are are big. And I think we're seeing that, you know, and, and, Brooklyn's not the only example. I, I love Claxton as an example of it, but I thought, you know, how much better the Celtics look when Robert Williams was on the floor yeah. this year. That's another thing where like, you know, Tristan, I, I don't know what's going on with, with his game. I, I hope, I hope there's a bounce back coming for Canada. Um, I hope so. But like that just, that just added a, a little bit more and like Aiton's progression in that regard has been important mm-hmm. to Phoenix. And anyway, I, I, I know you want to talk about the Nets and not make everything Raptor specific, but I do find myself, you know, this is our first postseason when either of us have been in this job where we can just kind of watch the postseason, right? Yeah. And, you know, not everything has to be what's the Raptors next game, what happened last game. You can kind of look at these these big picture things. And I think, you know, it's not a, it's not a secret that the Raptors half-court offense has been a sticking point for the last couple of years. And whatever you can pull from the success teams are having is, I think, important still. Yeah. Um, and one thing I want to touch on with this too, is just like when you watch this year's class in particular, it feels like offense is just clearly trumping defense um, and whatever, man, like every team that, that that's going to win at a very high level is going to need a very good offense. Right. I mean, um, that's just always true, but like this year in particular, it just feels like nobody, there's not that one shutdown defensive team. Um, that if you look at all of them, you would maybe think Philly, but even Philly got beat pretty badly by Atlanta in the first game offensively um you know like it's just uh, does it make sense to still build a defense first team the way the Raptors have 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I would phrase it as defense first necessarily, um, but I think that there's a certain defensive floor you have to meet. And okay. the Nets defense in the regular season absolutely does not meet that floor. Uh, but the Nets defense in the regular season is like not the level of engagement we expect from their time. Like That's we true. have to, yeah. we used to do this with LeBron's Cavs teams too, that you have to assume a little bit of uh, switch flipping. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, I, I don't think the whole like defense wins championships things. It's like, obviously like we're, we're talking about net points, right? Like you win the game by scoring more points, not yeah. scoring X number and allowing Y number. Uh, but yeah, man, it, it's, the, the modern offenses are ahead of where defenses are and, and whether that change needs to come by, you know, a lot of coaches completely rethinking how we defend a modern NBA offense or the league needing to tweak some of the rules to give defenses a little bit more freedom, um, you know, to, to stop all of these open shots that teams are getting. But yeah, it, it's hard to, even when you're an elite defense, like, the 76ers were in the regular season when the Hawks shoot a million threes in a game mm-hmm. and get hot. It's really hard to do anything about that. And like the, the separation between uncontested three point shots and contested three point shots so far in the playoffs is not super extreme. And like okay. that would even out over 82 games, but you don't have 82 games in a playoff series. And we, you know, if you think back to, I think it was the first sweep against the Cavs, I'll say like man. the Raptors, played well in that series but Cleveland's three-point shooting was like so like 90th percentile hot that mm-hmm. there was just no way to keep up no matter how and they were top five defense that year the Raptors and it's um you know I, I'm sure if there were Bucks fans they would be saying the same thing about like Fred Van Vliet getting hot in, in that series where it's like okay you can defend all you want and a team gets that hot and what can you do about it um but yeah I think you know there's certainly a defensive floor and and the way I've tended to look at playoff rotation pieces is like, okay, what players contribute the most offensively that you can justify having on the floor defensively. Right. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you need guys that can, you need guys that aren't attack points. You need guys that other teams aren't just going to try to funnel their offense at in the way that, you know, we've seen teams try to do against Reggie, uh, Reggie Jackson or, or Lou Williams, um, you know, like the Raptors didn't do against JJ Redick, and you know, we were all pulling our hair about it. Um, well, D- so, Danny, yeah. Danny tried to do that one time, and that, that didn't yeah, the one for Danny. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so yeah, I, I'm with you, man. Like, like I think, I think defensive ceiling is not going to dictate who wins the championship. Um, mm-hmm. I think there, I think you need a defensive floor. And then your ceiling is going to come from from the offensive side of the ball, um, if that makes sense. Yeah. Which, by the way, I, in this cart, like this year's playoffs in particular, I think obviously with LeBron being out uh, in the first round, it, it it has felt really nice for teams with really good point guards who can set the floor, who can create. I've really noticed it's just like that really has helped. And also having a good center has helped. And obviously these are very obvious things, but I'm just saying in like previous years, there's just been a lot more of – there's less emphasis on point guards. There's less emphasis on center play. And that's been really fun to watch in these playoffs. But um, you could argue point guard play is the difference in that Phoenix Denver series so far, right? Where like, absolutely. But I mean, that's a special case. Yeah, for sure. But it's a good example still where like Aiton's been able to elevate his level of play where the MVP doesn't have a huge edge through two games and Denver has no healthy guards. So mm-hmm. <laughs> the fact that Chris Paul, that campaign would be their best guard and Chris Paul is Chris Paul, 
becomes like magnified. Um, I've always thought it was like a little strange that the LA teams didn't like prioritize that position beyond like trading Rajon Rondo around. But anyway. Yikes. Yeah. Not a good year for, uh, for, for playoff Rondo um, so far. But listen, there's still time. There is still time. Yeah. Still time for him. Still time for playoff P. Still time for playoff P. Although, you know, Play, honestly, playoff norm, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, RIP. Yeah, well, we'll see. I mean, we'll see where Norm's going to land up. Listen, I mean, he's he's lined himself nicely for for a big payday this summer. Um, but the other guy that Norm was traded for, Gary Trent Jr. So I wanted to reflect on this trade a little bit. Yeah. Um, I guess first off, like, were there other options that the Raptors could have gone with? Maybe like because I think at a, at a certain point we realized okay, the Raptors were going to be sellers of the deadline. They had Kyle, they had Norm. They're going to trade one of those guys. Norm, there was reports that like 20 teams were interested in Norm or something like that, or, you know, whatever. I mean, clearly he's a very good player. People are going to call about him. And it felt like the Raptors could probably get picks. And I'm sure they were offered picks um, instead of Gary Trent Jr. And it was interesting that they they chose to, out of all those options, chose to get Gary Trent Jr. Do you think that like that was, I mean, maybe obviously we don't know all of the specifics, although you definitely will know way more than me. Um was this the right strategy to get a player? I guess is there. Yeah, I mean, look, just about every playoff team called on Norm and had some cursory interest. And what you're running into with the Norm trade is, first of all, uh, a whole bunch of playoff teams didn't have their own pick this year. Okay, so Portland's a good example. Like maybe you would have preferred in a vacuum Rodney Hood as salary filler and a pick in the twenties. Mm-hmm. versus Gary Trent Jr. ahead of restricted free agency where you're going to have to pay him more. Well, Portland couldn't offer a pick until 2023, and I don't know that you're moving Norm for a pick so far in the future unless yeah. like you have a subsequent move lined up to use that pick as an asset, right? So you're already looking at a number of these teams don't have picks to dangle. Um, you know, we, you can run through the same exercises that we did for Lowry for some of Norm's market where – you know, sure, maybe Boston should have been interested. I thought Philly was actually a good spot for him if they didn't want Lowry. And and you could have asked for, you know, significantly less than Lowry coming back, obviously. Um, But the LA teams who could have used him don't have those pieces. And and to make the salary math work and make it work Toronto's while, you know, Denver is a team that at that point, they probably didn't want to chase it more if Jamal... Uh, I, although I can't remember if Jamal got hurt before or after the deadline, but either way, was, like you're after. talking about, yeah, right. They had so, that, so either way, like, with Aaron Gordon and stuff. Yeah. Right. So, so, and, and the Aaron Gordon trade is like, well, Denver couldn't make both of those because exactly, Gary yeah. Harris was the salary piece and those were the assets. So you can kind of go down the list and it's like, okay, well maybe 12 or 15 teams called on him, but like maybe it came down to Portland, Philly, the Knicks and Dallas. I don't know. I was going to say Dallas would have made a lot of sense. Um, yeah. But you know, Mark Cuban also has specifics. Also, uh, <laughs> Norm's, um, Norm Norm played in AAU. He just doesn't like AAU players. Yeah, <laughs> he's um, not from. Like, uh, he's the, not from the, the former Yugoslavia team that they can't trade a pick until 2025. Exactly. Yeah, so, so then yeah, again, you're you're talking. Do you want? Do you want a flyer on? You know, do you want Maxi Kleber because he's got more contract time? Do you want to take a flyer on one of the younger guys who hasn't been that impressive? Like. Hmm. Like, I, so yes, I, and I was one of the people that reported like 12 or 15 teams called on Norm and they had some offers and, um, you know, the one, the one that I, that was spiciest and I, I was most excited about 
was a similar structure to the Gary Trent one. And then right. LaMelo Ball got hurt. So I don't know, <clears throat> oh. maybe keep your eyes on a, on a certain Charlotte wing uh, if the Raptors move on from Gary Trent and look a different way uh, mm-hmm. at that position. So, uh, but no, I think, you know, Trent makes sense if, if you didn't want to wait until 2023 for a pick. Trent is the youngest player on the Raptors. So yep. it's not like, even though he's three years in developmentally, like his rookie season was basically a red shirt year. And it's really only since the bubble that he's like been this version of himself. Um, So I get it. And and then like, you know, it's not just norm for Gary Trent, it's norm and the rights to pay norm 20 million this off season for Trent and the right to pay Trent 15 million this off season, say, and Trent's younger and he's going to be cheaper probably because he's RFA versus norm being UFA. So um, I get it. I, uh, I was a little underwhelmed with Trent when he landed in Toronto relative to how he'd looked in Portland, especially, you know, bubble Gary Trent was, was amazing. Um, But yeah, I mean, he's 22 years old. He's got a, and he has one really good skill on offense and he needs to add a lot of the secondary stuff. Still, he's not dissimilar to where Norm was not that long ago in terms of offensive package, different stylistically, but like same in terms of like, you've got the one building block skill. Now you need to add around it. You're really doing the, the different, but but still the same, but different. Yes. Uh, was uh, James Franco, I think. Um, anyway, um, yeah, so I want to ask about Gary's game in particular because I think he got off to a really nice start. And then towards the end of the season, when it was a lot of like, okay, nobody's playing. Gary, you're going to play. You're going to start and you're going to be one of our main shooters. And then I think it really soured because the last few games, let me just read you the, the stat lines. Three of 16 shooting against the Clippers, five of 20 shooting against Memphis, eight of 16 against Washington. That game was fine. Two of eight against New York, two of nine against Brooklyn, nine of 25 against OKC, although he did make the game-winning assist, the drive and the assist to Chris Boucher for the three. Uh, Three of 15 shooting against Atlanta. So that really, really did sour him, I think, because at the start of it, the first 10 games that he played were, were fantastic, 18 points per game. Uh, shot at 47% from the field, 41% from deep. Um, and of course, you know, you can't just pick and choose with, with guys who are shooters because, you know, people are going to get hot just like he's going to have a 17 of 19 game for 44 points against Cleveland. He's going to have, you know, a 5 of 20 game uh, against Memphis. But at the same time, though, I, I think there is a bit of concern about his player type because I was thinking into it. So this season he averaged um, a, how many – just the exact stats. So he averaged 1.8 free throw attempts per game, and he took 13.5 field goal attempts per game. So I, I looked it up this season, which players shot under two free throws a game while also attempting more than 13 uh, field goals per game. The list is three players. It's Gary Trent Jr., obviously, DeJounte Murray, which surprised me a little bit, uh, and then Buddy Heald. And really, there's Damn. But Buddy Heald is kind of similar, I think, to Gary Trent. Buddy can, I think he's even more willing to shoot than Gary is, which is hard to believe. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, and I think Gary probably competes more than Buddy does, considering Buddy's on the Kings and also he just plays no defense. But that's kind of the player type right now. So, I mean, is, is there. Is there something that you could see maybe be an area of focus for Gary to sort of get past? And look, there's nothing wrong with being Buddy Heal. Buddy makes a lot of good money and things like that. He's in the league, whatever. But is there a level that he can get to where if you can add one or two things to his game with some focus development that he he, he becomes something more than, than, let's say, Buddy Heal? Yeah, I mean, I think the free throw rate is a good 
kind of obviously there are guys who struggle to get to the line and guys who are good at getting to the line. But I think for kind of role players in a position like Trent's um, free throw rate can, can almost tell us um, like role specifics, right? Like, Mm -hmm. like Gary Trent Jr. Just, just does not shoot from high danger areas. He shoots almost exclusively um, from outside. And and that's, you know, uh, that, that came down a little bit in Toronto, but for his career, 56% of his shot attempts have been from three Mm -hmm. and you don't get fouled on threes really, unless you're shooting against Chris Boucher and he's flying out at you with his arms waving and lands in the second row and stuff. Um, And, you know, you can dive into some of Gary Trent's, um, you know, ancillary stats too, and find even more like he had the lowest turnover percentage in the league because he rarely dribbles or passes the ball. Yeah. Um, yep. You know, he had, he had what I imagine was one of the lowest uh, assist rates in the league. I don't have, Oh, there it is. 13th percentile assist rate. Okay. Uh, and third percentile assist rate based on offensive usage okay. among wings per right. cleaning the glass. So mm. um, basically no wing passed le- or made, created assists less relative to how much they shot than Gary Trent. So what that tells you is right now, He's exclusively a play finisher. And, you know, there are play finishers out there who profile like that around the rim. And then there are basically he, his stat profile is a shooting specialist right now. Yep. And what's going to be huge for him is he's he I mean, he just has to add the complementary offensive skills because it's great to have a guy who can shoot 39 percent on, you know, eight three point attempts per 36. But your ceiling's fairly limited like that. Right. So, mm. um, you know, Trent's a guy who. He does have a little bit of off dribble game. Um, you know, he loves his, what, what we can call his Kobe package where it's, you know, take one step inside the three point line, go behind your back or, or cross over and, and create that mid range space for yourself, which is great. It's important to um, develop that. And he shot a lot more from the floater range and the mid range after coming to the Raptors. And mm-hmm. he shot those shots like semi effectively, uh, but the big thing for him is like he he has not shown an ability to get to the rim or finish at the rim, yeah. and that's that's what the free throw rate tells me, and that's what to me right now, especially since he's not a passer, makes him a really easy guy to guard. Right, like like forty percent three point shooters aren't easy to guard, but forty percent three point shooters who are not much of a threat to put the ball on the floor and, and break down your your defense inside or create for someone else are fairly straightforward. So. Um, that's where he's at I think offensively I think the nice thing is is that like that being a 40% three-point shooter on high volume is the hardest part of all of this right so yeah um, and and the rarest part of all this so he doesn't need to become norm attacking closeouts and attacking along the baseline to get to the rim but he needs to become something more than this because right now he's a guy that you you really willingly drive off the line and and you don't change the like your your base paint defense because Gary Trent is attacking a closeout and you certainly don't worry about him making the next pass. So um, I don't think that's a particularly unique spot to be in as a 22 year old who has only gotten minutes for like a season and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the, the other parts of his offensive game really need to catch up to where the shooting is. Yeah. Um, I, I remember a few months back, I was doing a, the live call-in show and someone called in and compared him to Terrence Ross. And I was like, come on, that's an insult. But then I looked into the Terrence Ross thing more and more. And I was like, He's right now Terrence Ross adjacent, uh, especially at that stage. Hey, he, you know who would have looked really good on this Raptors roster the last two years? Terrence Ross. Yeah, so. no, f- no, fair enough, fair enough. And I think but, there's a lot of things not, Gary does, though. Yeah, it's not a bad, like, 
like Trent actually shoots more threes at a slightly higher percentage on a per minute basis. Mm -hmm. Um, Terrence is just like, he's come along more as a playmaker and obviously a guy who can, you know, throw down dunks when, when he gets the opportunity. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's, he's another guy that like, he, you can kind of see that like Terrence Ross is maybe the, the ceiling for, for Trent with the current skill package, right? Like, right, right. like Ross just never became a playmaker to secondary playmaker levels. And he never, you know, he's never been a guy that you're going to give the ball to, 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 you know, score one-on-one at much volume. Like I think he took 6% of his attempts at the rim this year. Like, um, mm. so yeah, it's not a, it's not a bad guy to put their first three seasons next to each other. Uh, even though Trent's a little younger at this point than Ross was, but yeah. Um, the nice well, thing is they still have a bunch of Terrence Ross plays in a playbook that they gave to CJ miles and now can give to Gary Trent. So that, that, this is true. Um, and, and also the nice thing is Terrence Ross became a pretty valuable player to, to eventually trade down the line. I mean, yeah. you know, Serge was pretty good. Um, yeah. I mean, I, mean so, that, I, I do think that's part of the Gary Trent equation this summer. Absolutely. Too, right. Like, so, yeah. like, especially if you say the Raptors win the lottery and, or want to retain Kyle and Chris Boucher, like you're pretty much out of cap space anyway. So mm-hmm. the opportunity cost of re-signing Gary Trent, even at like, say it's four years, 60 million. Even if you don't love that price for Gary Trent, that's a tradable deal for a 22-year-old yeah, sure. who shoots like that. So you you probably, if you're going to operate as an above cap team with Lowry and Boucher back, you probably, you know, your walkaway point for Gary Trent is higher than it would be if you were using cap space for him because you have his rights and, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a consideration of... Um, Gary Trent versus nothing, right? Or, or Gary Trent, you know, even if you want to look at Gary Trent as Gary Trent the asset, which is, you know, I don't like doing that from like a personal level, but yeah. from a roster building level, that's a real that's a real chip to have. Yeah, and, and listen, this is all assuming that Gary stops developing at twenty two, which is I, I don't think that the the signs necessarily suggest it. I think his 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 role has been sort of narrowed by this point. So I think you would need to do tangible improvements to sort of expand out of this current role. But like in this current role, like he's already pretty valuable. And I think there are small things that I think he can do in terms of um, better shot selection. I think obviously um, he will be more efficient the more guys are setting him up rather than he's setting himself up. Um, and then, you know, there's probably tangible things. Like I, I think he, he does have a little bit of a driving game. And I think that, with more coaching, um, I, I do, and especially with Nick Nurse teams, like there's just not a lot of guys taking that floater range shot, not a lot of guys taking that mid range shot. That it will, he will be pushed and encouraged to go to the rim more. Now, whether that happens or not, we'll see. But that's part of development, and I do think that if he gets the rim a little bit more, if he learns the plays a little bit more, to the point where there's at least some like basic cursory passes being made, some nice reads being made. Um, you know, it, it's not impossible. I mean, you know, I think the three-point shot is such a valuable tool right now. So you, to build off of that tool, there's a lot of things that people do. Like even Terrence Ross, for example, like he's gotten really good at jumping up and just drawing the three-point shot foul. Um, I, I, you know, I don't even want to call it flopping, but like that's one way shooters can get to the free throw line is if you come out the pick and roll, you jump in midair, your legs kind of swing a little bit, it knocks into a guy and you get three three shots. And, you know, that's not a, a play, quote unquote play, but <laughs> I mean, listen, every time I watch an Orlando Magic game, which is uh, ideally uh, no more than the four times the Raptors play them per year, Terrence Ross is doing that at least, and getting three points uh, off of that. So, yeah. um, 
There's Look, let, let's just do. continue the uh, the comparison further too, and, and just put it out there. Gary Trent had that 44 point game this year. He's coming for Terrence's 51 at some he's, point. He's coming for that sh- that, that crown. And, he only uh, hits. He he shots. Trent shot seven of nine on threes in that 44 point game. I know that that game Terrence, was Terrence was 10 of 17. So yeah, I, you could. That's the the only time in Gary Trent Jr.'s career that you could say he should have been more aggressive shooting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A- and this is like, this is all before getting into the defensive side too, which I think we probably both agree that like yeah. Trent's reputation coming in was he has some potential on that end, but the impact hasn't caught up to that potential. And I think he's mm. still in that, in that stage. And I don't think, I don't think the Raptors defensive ecosystem is like a super easy one to get dropped into. Um, yeah. But also like he just was he also was not super effective defensively. So yeah. Well, I mean, I, I do see some of the physical finished products, I guess. Definitely not. At 22, I was definitely um, not as good of a podcaster as I am now. Um, that, I think the physicality is uh, on defense. There is a level of physicality there that I, I will trust um, to be developed into something else. I think he's also a reasonably competitive guy. He doesn't really like float through games. You might say, well, he, he, he tries a little too hard to impact the game, but you know, you can work your way down from there rather than the other way, other way around. So, um, yeah, I mean, the 15 mil, I think, is probably what I would estimate him coming out to, um, 14 to 15. I don't really think there's that big of a risk that he's going to get this a much bigger offer than that. Um, what's your impression on this? Yeah, I mean, it only takes one team, right, is the thing. And- yeah, but which team's looking at Gary Trent Jr. is like, this is, if I, if I get him $20 million a year, this is going to change my life. I mean, there are teams that do that every offseason, though. There's always a look at the, the Alan Crab deal, man. It's, uh, that, was, that was that was a cap jump and stuff like that. Like I know, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, look, it's some of it's going to depend on what happens with the biggest player options and where mm-hmm. exactly the cap comes in. You know, you're looking at teams like the Knicks and, and the Mavericks as the big kind of cap space players who were solid this year. Um, you know, there's some interesting scenarios where like maybe Charlotte moves on from Malik Monk and they're like, Oh, Gary Trent jr. Mm. Uh, we have, we have Malik Monk at home. Um, wow. And, you know, you could see guys like that, or, or, I mean, Tim Hardaway jr. Is much older than those guys, but you know, maybe a team looks to get a Dallas, like Dallas looks to get a little cheaper and younger in that same spot. Um, so I could see teams, you know, certainly making overtures at, at him. And I, it wouldn't surprise me. 20 would surprise me. I don't think like 17 and a half, 18 would surprise me that much just because like that's still very much in the like you could trade that deal. It's yeah. not a it's not a huge thing. But yeah, I mean, if it gets north of 15, that's probably where if I'm the Raptors, that's where you start considering not matching. And then the kind of, you know, the asset value tilts the other way where it's like, OK, well, maybe it's better to just not have anything in that spot than Trent at this price mm. moving forward we, even if you're looking at him as a as a trade chip or whatever um I think he'll probably get a little bit more than 15 but yeah I don't think I think the like tougher decisions come in like the 17 18 19 range okay so basically we're, we're probably looking at five what five uh 350 three four somewhere between 345 yeah, four and 360 something like uh, yeah, yeah like okay. 460 is a like, I think if you wanted him at 15, you'd probably have to give him the fourth year, which is fine. You know, yeah. he's only going to be 27 at the end of that deal. So yeah. uh, even if the fourth year is a player option or whatever, if it can get you 460, you offer it up. And... Yeah. I mean, look, I, I like Gary Trent, and I really want to see where he's going with this. Um, I, yeah, he's also, I, he's, like, he's, 
he's a he's a nice complimentary player to other guys who are playmakers as well. Uh, yeah, exactly. And I, I think he's a guy that like, you know, he's only 22. So he fits the younger timeline of the, the younger part of the core, mm-hmm. but also like there's some upside left here and he's, he's kind of a nice middle ground where like, yeah, he's had like a season and a half, two seasons of NBA minutes. So you don't have to, you know, the training wheels are off at this point. He can be in your rotation now, but there's still some upside to tap into there because he's only 22 because he hasn't been, you know, he had what 17 games with the Raptors to really expand his offensive role and see what he's capable of. So um, yeah, I mean, I, he's, he's a nice, he's like your fifth or sixth guy. Like I, I, he's a guy that I'm always probably going to like better off the bench than as a starter, even though, you know, him getting those shots created for him by, by the other guys is going to be better. I I don't know. But I always like Norman Terrence off the bench better too. So I think I, I think I just like the kind of, high volume low assist guys as kind of microwave guys in the second unit yeah that's fair that's generally how they're used um transitioning over i want to talk about the rookies as well the three rookies this year that we saw in the raptors malachi flynn jalen harris freddie gillespie um i I guess with malachi what was your biggest takeaway from from his rookie season um he obviously got a chance to really really play a lot of minutes basically post trade deadline kyle and fred taking turns sitting sometimes both of them sitting um a lot of a whole lot of sitting really uh, and a lot of coaching malachi from the sideline but what was the one biggest takeaway you saw from malachi's game this year yeah i I think the biggest one is like defensively he's ready offensively you're gonna want him playing as many minutes alongside a kyle or fred as possible i don't think he's you know as advanced as the pick and roll game was in college Mm -hmm. um and as much as the shooting mechanics are look way better than the 32 percent that he hit um you know, he's not a, I don't know if he's ready to run entire units on his own um, right now. Certainly not units when you only have six players and three of them are centers, Uh, but the defense, the defense is there and the defense is what gets you into the rotation under Nick nurse Mm -hmm. and you figure the offense out as you go. So I think like if Malachi Flynn does not open the season with a real rotation role, given what he showed defensively, I'll be very surprised. Yeah, um, I agree with that, too. Uh, Malachi, I mean, if you just want to take from April onwards, and obviously he won uh, Rookie of the Month for April, you know, LaMelo was hurt. Uh, you know, we know LaMelo was the best rookie out of the East, maybe in the league in general. But, um, yeah, uh, Malachi averaged 12 points per game, four rebounds, 4.5 assists, 1.3 steals, shot the ball a lot better from three, up to 37%. Um, you know, there's there's some nice things there. Got to the free throw line occasionally as well, but – um, it's nice sort of skill set to build off of defensively. It's, it's, it's nice for sure. Um, honestly, I think point of attack defense is, is really underrated. I mean, again, when, I, when you're watching the playoffs right now, I really do feel like teams just aren't applying that much pressure on the ball in a lot of these series and whatever, like some of these series, like for example, if you're playing against Denver, how much are you really going to pressure the ball when the ball's in the hands of Nikola Jokic, you know, free throw line extended. You can pressure him, sure, but he's just going to hold the ball over his head and eventually just yeah. shoot a, a slow jumper over you and, and cash it. But, like, um, a lot of these other teams, I feel like there's been a lack of ball pressure. So I, I really do value that that trade about Malachi, getting to turn guys a few times, pressuring them off the court. Um, does, and, you know, I think, you know, that's probably one of the bigger hurdles is just, like, as a smaller guard, you do wonder how that's going to play defensively. And I thought he had a, you know, he was willing to play in the paint. He was willing to die for loose balls. He was, you know, 
not really bullied that often. You know what I mean? Like, even though he was small, like a lot of guards, he'll, if they're small, they, they drive past them. They, you know, they're obviously not contesting a lot of shots. I'm not really contesting a rebound. I thought Malachi was pretty involved in the way that like, not necessarily the way Fred and Kyle are, because those guys are maniacs, but like you could see how he could get to that level. Um, of yeah, scrappiness. he got the message, right? Like, yeah. like we heard Nick Nurse talk about it a lot of like, what are you looking for more from him? And at the start, it was very much those dirty things, right? Like if you get beat, try to poke the ball loose from behind. Yeah. Or if you poke it on, you know, if you reach through a screen to poke the ball loose, you better be the guy hitting the deck to, to try to pick it up and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. So, um, but I think he's there, man. I, like obviously lots of room for growth. He was a rookie, um, but defensively he's just, you know, that's, it's very hard to defend as a point guard, as a rookie, I think. And yeah. uh, he was, he met expectations and probably exceeded them on that end. Yeah. Um, is there, is there one immediate tangible improvement that you would like to see from him? I think Nick's talked about his shooting um when asked about this yeah i mean i like the the mechanics on his shot like mm-hmm. even his pull-up that he, that he didn't hit very often um i think uh the i don't know how you improve this necessarily uh but he doesn't like anytime he was able to get to the rim he was having to use the tempo changes and, and the craft in his dribble to do that he mm-hmm. didn't even against switches or when he was guarded by a slower player, like he didn't really show the burst to be able to get by guys to get to the rim. And if that's something that with a full season of, you know, physical development in a, in the Raptor system, you know, that's probably, I think his biggest limiting factor right now. Cause I think the shot's going to come along. Obviously you put the work in on it, uh, but it's that burst and the ability to kind of separate from your defender. Changing speeds is great. The old mm-hmm. Jose Calderon, like, I have five speeds. So even if I, <laughs> even if my, even if my top speed is way slower than yours, yeah. I have all these different points I could trick you with. That's cool. And it's good. But yeah. you know, a rookie at his stage in development, I, I'm, I'm hoping he can, he can build a little bit more bursts there to, to beat his, to, his primary defender. Yeah. Jose Calderon coming at you like a Mark Burley fastball, you know, just like <laughs> switching it up to like a sixties change. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, that's all the baseball I know. Um, Jalen Harris. <laughs> um, we've seen um, not that much of Jalen. Obviously he was hurt at two different points in the season. Um, you know, showed some things in the G league and then wasn't really sure if he was going to replicate that in the NBA. Obviously um, I wouldn't necessarily say the last few games of the season are that indicative, but um, he did have that really nice game against Dallas. He did have some very confident looking moments and um yeah, ultimately, I think – I mean, first off, did he do enough to, to get another contract? Because that's actually – you know, he's not even guaranteed to be on the team next year. Yeah, I would say so. I, I think – Okay. You know, he the number 59 pick, you can walk away from that pretty quickly. The Raptors did with DeWan Hernandez. Yeah. Um, you know, they they didn't draft Shamori Pons, but, like, booted him on a two-way as Andre at the free agent. Like, the opportunity cost in those spots is low. You don't worry about losing a guy like that. Um, but I think he showed enough. I, I thought his – his regular season in the G league before he banged up his finger was encouraging. He was showing progress. I, I really lost confidence when he came back for the G league playoffs. Um, yeah, but he was in, not retro- in retrospect, it looks like maybe he, like I went back when, when he started cooking for the Raptors down the stretch, I went back and watched some of his, his clips from um, those playoff games. And like, You're I don't, <laughs> I don't, I, 
it's hard to say like you can't really like tell this through screen but like mm-hmm. he was coming back from a bad finger injury and like yeah, yeah. maybe tried to rush back because it was the playoffs and stuff he just didn't look comfortable mm-hmm. with the ball at all and, and like a guy like that everyone saw it down the stretch there is like confidence is a huge part of the package with him because he's going to take some shots that make you raise your eyebrows um but he you know that confidence is a big part of it and that confidence is a hard thing to teach um i would say you know scoring wise he delivered like he he hit his threes well um he finished at the rim better like a tiny sample but he finished at the rim better than i would have expected um given where he is like he shot he shot like 70 71 percent at the rim yeah. uh, in his NBA minutes, which, which is great. Um, but the big thing for me was like, he did show a little bit of that secondary playmaking skill too. turnover prone, but he's uh, the 59th pick playing in his first dozen NBA games. So mm-hmm. uh, the fact that he showed a little bit of that playmaking juice is encouraging because I think for him to stick in the NBA, he probably has to develop some combo skills. Like I don't know that he has the size and defense to, to stick as kind of like a true slashing scoring wing. Yeah. Um, so he might need to round out those uh, – he might need to round out the, the the point guard side of that combo package. Um, but, yeah, it was encouraging. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he, you know, he gets that multi-year minimum treatment, um, you know, either before summer league or coming out of summer league. Oh, man. The uh, the Sam Presti slash uh, Daryl Morey special. The Lou Dort. <laughs> the, Lou, the Lou Dort, yeah. No, no, no. The Raptors, the Raptors haven't gone four years with those. They haven't been that bad. It's yeah, usually yeah. two or three. Yeah. So it's much, much more pro labor. No fourth year tacked on. Yikes. Uh, you know, you know, you could be pro labor, but I mean, these guys do make decent money as well. And on top of that, um, if you're just looking at the last four games of Jalen Harris, uh, 18.5 points per game. <laughs> I think by the way, Stanley Johnson, I, I think Stanley might've averaged 18 points per game in the last four games of the season as well. That guy, he was snapping, but um, yeah, I, I think Jalen showed enough skill wise. I think, if, if the injuries is not something that like is anything long-term or something reoccurring, then I think then, yeah, for sure. I think there's, there's intrigue there in his skill set. Um, plus I, I love this confidence. Real cool guy to interview. I felt like uh, yeah. definitely said yes, sir. Or it was, he was the guy who said yes, sir. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and yes, sir. all the time. Um, very confident dude. Easy to. Um, I'd also just say like, so. I, I think my, my bar for bringing a guy like Harris back, next year is lower than it normally not that he was bad like not that i'm lowering the bar i don't think artificially but also like he didn't get an off season and he was hurt a bit and yeah, exactly there was no none of that mississauga up and down and stuff in the g league but like he him and malachi flynn did not get the same rookie year development treatment that the other raptors development pieces have gotten so i think you know i i would probably lean toward giving the guys like that another shot um or at least like give them to camp to to fight for it kind of thing mm. and then the last rookie freddie gillespie joined the season uh, joined the, the team mid-season um block same party s- in the usa block, block party in the usa yeah uh, cat daddy gillespie is uh, josh Hart has nicknamed him um it's it's weirdly sticking now um you know the, the lobster claw i don't know he's got a lot of nicknames new freddie but um yeah. gilly gilly i uh, calls him gilly yeah you know i mean he he was I, you know what though i think it's it takes a little bit of um appreciation of the the smaller things to appreciate freddie because i think that like he's obviously not a big time scorer 
but he did rebound at a pretty high rate and he did get up to contest shots and it seemed like Nick really liked him. Nick Yeah, that, that dude does of not way. mind getting dunked on. Like he yes. had he had a, a handful of blocks at the rim and like ask you to man that's uh that's a okay. risky way to live. Uh but it's yeah. good man. I I I liked him. I liked him a lot in the G League. Um, okay. Like he was a guy that I really wanted the nine. I was really hoping the nine Oh five got in the, the G league draft. Um, I just think he kind of fits the system defensively at, at the center spot. He has a, a pretty long way to go, I think. And the reason I was high on Gillespie when, before they signed him and when they signed him was really not to do with what he'd look like this year. It's, you know, you've got this guy who went barely played in high school Went yep. to D3, basically redshirted his first D3 year, then played a year, then redshirted in D1, then became this really good guy. And then he improved a lot over the course of the G League season. So he's a guy that I'm really interested in, like the developmental capacity of, of like, right, this right. guy has not had a lot of hands-on high-level basketball coaching yet. And what can he look like in a year if you do that, or, or even at the start of next year? So um, he's got some he's got some body stuff to work on. Like he's not, um, I just think he's a little stiff through the hips and stuff. Like even oh. though he covers ground well defensively, okay. like I, I don't think he's the most fluid moving on, on the defensive end. Um, but I think like the, the core stuff is there, right? Like the instincts defensively, the way he feels the game and then like the way he understands his role and, and the space he occupies on offense. Like he's got the, he's got the kind of, more intellectual parts of it down um now it's just a matter of like can you bring that athleticism up to where it's a little higher and he's got a little bit more burst and a little bit more speed and um you know i think i think he's further away than some of the other raptors projects in terms of ball skill and stuff but he's got a he's got a pretty soft touch at least yeah, I was going to say, when you said he's got a little bit of body stuff to work on, I was like, you know, listen, it's the pandemic. Everyone's got a little <laughs> bit of that going on. So Yeah, um, look, there's a reason our Zooms are only from here up, right? <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, it's terrible. It's like an iceberg. But um, yeah, it's uh, I was, you know, I was happy with, with Freddie Gillespie as well. I think the offensive rebounding is nice. I think he used the size well in that, in that front, carving out that space, as you mentioned. Soft touch with the left hook very a lot of patience every single time he catches the ball down i'm like oh my god it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a three second violation you're gonna like, get rid of the ball get rid of the ball and then at 2.9 like you know how there's 2.9ing in defense there's 2.9ing yeah. on offense for him <laughs> he's just <laughs> he just loves waiting it out um but you know he, he showed good energy you know i think if you just his activity was consistently high every game and the thing is that's really hard to evaluate about some of these things is a you know he didn't really play with a lot of high level point guards just because Kyle and Fred were not available for a lot of these games um and Malachi was was good maybe half the time as a point guard um in some of these games some of these other games wasn't as much um and then also he just played in a ton of these games where he ended up playing two center lineups with like Ken Birch at the start when he first joined then he started playing three center lineups with Aaron Baines at three <laughs> and Stanley Johnson has a center S uh, offensive skill set sometimes. So that's almost four centers on the floor at once. So, you know, it, it's hard to judge Freddie's uh, numbers based off that, but I think some of the raw tools are there. It's interesting. I think he's probably another guy that you would look to bring back. Um, yeah. I, I think he's a guy that, um, you know, he, he does have a small guarantee that triggers in his deal right after summer league. Okay. So there's a little bit of investment in him, but I think you, you kind of look at the off season for guys like him and Harris and, and you know, Utah and Bembry and those guys too. 
maybe Bembry a little less just because he's further along, but you look at it in waves, right? It's like, okay, the yeah. season's over. And now the next wave is this development window between now and the start of summer league. And are you making the summer league roster? Are you, are you, cause the summer league roster, don't forget, um, or summer league starts after free agency. Mm-hmm. So after free agency opens, so they'll have to make some decisions by then. Uh, and then you've got the summer league after summer league is probably the decision point on Gillespie. And then you get the training camp where, okay, if Utah makes the team, his deal guarantees in full, if uh, all those guys, actually, um, I think their deals guarantee at, at the start of the season, at, at least Utah, Paul and Freddie off the top of my head. So you've got kind of this like three tier summer system where, you know, okay, you've made it out of this phase. Now you've got to, you've got to show it the next phase. I don't, I don't think any of these guys, not to use dollars as like actual guarantees, but like, yeah, I don't think either any of these guys have anything guaranteed right now. And it's a high pressure off season for a lot of these guys. Cause I mean, you look at it and, and whatever happens in free agency, the Raptors have seven guys with non-guaranteed deals and three yeah. picks in the draft. And they're always players on uh, the market with like undrafted free agents or like, Hey, you know, uh, we're, we're going to bring this guy over from, you know, Ishmael Wainwright is going to come back from Europe and we're going to, we're going to give him the old Drew Crawford treatment at training camp or something like that. Like they do stuff like that. So mm-hmm. there's, there's going to be competition. And I think it'll be, I mean, that stuff's good for everyone. I think. Yeah, for sure. Which by the way, summer league this year is going to be lit. I'm looking by the way, to- if they end up bringing Ishmael Wainwright specifically to, to summer league now, I'm going to, it's going to be uh that'd be a weird one, but yeah, I was going to say when, when you said bringing up Ishmael Wainwright and giving the Drew Crawford treatment, only you and like, uh, I guess Dan Tolzman and Bobby and Masai and, and Chad Sanders understood e- what that meant. EJ Singler is so <laughs> mad that I excluded him wow. right now. Oh my God. Um, yeah, man, I'm, I'm sure you're dying to go back to the, uh, to the Paramount Fine Food Center. Yeah, yeah, I am. Let's fingers crossed for vaccine rollouts and all that stuff. Yeah, seriously. Um, yeah, no, the summer league's going to look nice, though. I mean, I think, honestly, like, it, it's it's not quite as lit as when they had Fred, Pascal, and Jakob that one year. Yeah. I think DeLon might have played, or he maybe got hurt again or something. Yeah, I think he, he played, and then they, but he only played a couple games. He did, the year before was the one where, oh, no, he did get hurt, because that's what kind of opened up the spot for Fred to, like, really locked down the uh he had the shoulder separation thing yeah Uh, so that really opened up fred to lock down that roster spot over like brady heslip and and those Mm. guys yeah that was uh turns out that was all for the best um but yeah i mean it's not quite as lit as that year it's not quite as lit as the year jv put 20 and 10 on everybody (laughs) that was amazing i think he was named summer league mvp he was that was Uh, your first raptors republic piece that that (laughs) oh my goodness wow see uh damn it's uh it's been a long time, but no, I mean, I, I'm really excited. Honestly, I think, you know, especially for these guys to get more developmental minutes uh, would, would be huge. Um, and it'd be a great opportunity for these guys to um, showcase what they have. Plus what the Raptors are getting in the draft, which we didn't have time to get to uh, real quick. If you Sorry, have to make I, a... I, I, can I ask one more summer league question? Of course, Blake, of course. you can. Okay. Uh, so for anyone who doesn't know this in 2006, after being the number one pick, Andrea Bargnani became the first player to ever foul out of a summer league game. You get 10 Yo, you get fouls. 10. I was going to say, you, you get, get 10. You get 10 fouls oh, man. in summer league. Um, so, uh, Gillespie was not tops on the team, 
but he was tops on the team among guys who are probably going to be on that summer league roster with four fouls per 36. And we saw him rack them up a couple times. Yeah. Uh, he's not, I don't think he sniffs it, but do you, is that on the table for you? Basically, I just want to see someone do it again so I can write about how Bargnani did it. Well, I mean, listen, we saw Chris Boucher in summer league at, at least twice and he never did it. So yeah, 10 is hard to get to, man. That's that might be like the Rashid Wallace technicals record. Like, yeah, how like are you going to commit you... 10 fouls? How, how long is the summer league game? Is it, is it not 40 minutes? Yeah. And like, you got to be on the floor long enough. That's what I'm saying. Like, like it who is was coaching funny, that like, team? Like, like who was coaching Boucher... summer league? Yeah. Like Boucher still fouls more than four per 36 yeah. now. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Pat, Patrick Matumbo would give the give the hook a little earlier than that, I think. Yeah. Wow. Um. Yeah. What was I gonna What was I gonna end up on? I don't know. Certainly not me rambling about. Uh, yeah. <laughs> about, about summer league two thousand and six. That's any yeah, chance that's to take a shot at Chris Stapps Porzingis. I mean, uh, wow. 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 You know, I think Chris Stapps is probably better than than Barnelli, but like not by much. Like right now, and it's. I mean. You know, listen, Chris Tabs is if he were a better guy, I think probably maybe there'd be more sympathy too, but it's just yeah, there's uh yeah, not there's much the off court re- not, not like, much redeemable there, to be honest. Yeah. So. And then on top of that, like whining about your role while you're playing awful basketball. Yeah, no, it's it's terrible. Um oh wait, last thing I was gonna ask was just um I, I guess like media coverage, like how weird it's been for the last eighteen months. Like so you, the the recent updates seem to be trending in the right way. I mean, first off, the most important thing is that the recent health reports in, in Ontario seem to be trending the right way. Um, the numbers are coming down. The lockdown uh, has been, it was late, but it was, it's, it's taking effect now. It's having the intended effect. Um, and also vaccine rollouts seem to be accelerating. I think majority of people now have at least their first dose. People are getting their second shot soon as well. Um, you're seeing the, in the NHL, um, the North Division wrapping up. My Canadians, obviously, co- going through um, to represent Canada <laughs> and the city of Toronto, evidently, based on the CN Tower. But um, that's looking in the right direction. So, you know, the, the, the NHL is going to have you know, cross-border play. And at this rate, I think by the time that it gets down to it, like we're probably talking about mid-August, maybe September-ish, like, you know, there's, there should be no issues, I think, in terms of if everything goes the right way, people keep getting their vaccines, that there, there should be not as much of an issue with the Raptors playing at home this season, which would be great. But I do think that, like, you know, look, we can speculate on that, but obviously we are not public health ministers. Um, my, my question is, like, how much do you think a return to normalcy for us as reporters is going to look like? Um, are we still going to be in scrums? Are we still going to be in the arena? Like, what what's it going to look like? I don't really know. Like, like if we're trying to use baseball as an example, um, it sounds like they're starting to get to where there will be one-on-ones facilitated. But baseball also has the advantage of being primarily an outdoor sport where you could do that like six feet apart along the baseline during batting practice or whatever, okay. right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so I don't know what that's going to look like for us at Summer League. I don't know what that's going to look like. Like, like I, I would love to hear for Summer League because if all we're going to be able to do is sit in the crowd and watch on zo- watch Zooms, then yeah. it's probably not worth the money um but uh unless you win it back but uh anyway okay. um, so i don't i don't really know like it's hard to imagine we'd be in the locker room but also like if we're gonna have to be fully vaccinated to get in the door and there's gonna be twenty thousand people in the arena like 
why could like if everything else is back to normal why wouldn't that element be back to normal and um so i don't really know man i don't have answers i'm not uh I'm not one of the PBWA like directors or whatever. So I just, I get my information from them, but I, I would hope that by the start of, you know, the training camp, like we can get back to, look, I don't want to be the, the, like a complaining sports writer, but the access we've had, we're, we've all been very fortunate to like keep our jobs and still have sports to write about. Yeah. But for you guys, like the listeners and the readers, you know, there's been some fidelity lost these last 16 months in terms of, you know, get us getting to know players and getting to know what stories there are to tell and helping mm, yep. fans get to know the players at a more intimate level. And as great a job as open gym does with that stuff, you know, it can't be the only thing. And, um, you know, obviously there were moments this year, like Pascal's benching and stuff like that, where it would have been great to be around and have more detail and stuff. But the big thing is like, I don't know, man, there's a, there's a personal element to this job for some of us that that's been, missing and that ability to connect with, with players or coaches or the vibe around the team and the vibe around the fan base that hasn't been there. And I've missed it a lot. So hopefully we're, we're getting closer to it. Yeah. I think, you know, more so for, for, for what you do, but like, I think there's what we go to the arena, let's say tip up seven thirty. we probably get down there four thirty, maybe five. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Eat some of that free pizza. Pizza, pizza! Shout out to Roberto. no, no, no. We, we got, we got, we got to cut that off. Post pandemic, we got to go one season without that pizza to come back. No, that, it's got to be just salad, man. Way, that's... Yeah, no, that's it. That's honestly, that's what I'm having. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, like you know, I think there's that portion there where there's like you have two hours and you end up bumping into people, you end up having conversations with people, and like a, a lot of the work, not even the work of getting the story, but the work of getting to know people and like getting to make some connections and potentially form the stories. These stories don't come out of nowhere, right? And so, yeah. I'm, and like I'm, it gets your mind going right like it's yeah it's, exactly it's you know the curiosity or something comes up in a conversation it's not like you know it's not like you're talking to an assistant coach and suddenly they say something and you're like oh i'm gonna run and write what you said mm-hmm. but it's like no maybe that plants a seed in your brain and then you're watching the player you were talking about later and you see yeah. something and it just kind of snowballs like that that stuff happens all the time um or you know you can see what guys are working on pre-game and yeah um stuff like that plus like i don't know like there's sometimes I'm hanging out talking to you or Alex or Joe Wolfon or something. And like, it sparks mm. a story idea. Cause like Joe Wolfon and I are just like, you know, watching some guy practice his floaters. And we're like, Oh, we're the only two guys that like floaters. And now suddenly everyone likes floaters again. Uh, Honestly, the floater. I, I, I mean, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm already tweeted as early for Etwan Moore's warmups. <laughs> only floaters, only floaters. Yeah. And he, I can only imagine he makes hundred percent of those. Yeah. Listen, the floater game is something that uh, I, I'm now really, really missing on the, on the Raptors. I mean, I think Kyle did a little bit more on this. But year. you've added it to your own game too. Have you not? What, wasn't that what you're saying? The, that like elbow range push shot is what you've been working on. I definitely don't have touch for a floater. I, don't, I barely have touch for an elbow jumper wide open. No, I mean, listen, my personal accomplishment during the pandemic is making 16 straight free throws. <laughs> That's not bad. That's really not bad. Okay. Um, <laughs> Don't ask me my overall shooting percentages, but uh, you know, definitely doing something there. Um, but yeah, I mean, listen, the floater range is uh, is good. By the way, am I just imagine this, or did did Nick Nurse say earlier this season that he's just not that big of a fan of the shot, or am I just like because I don't want to go back and listen through all the scrums again or something like that? But I feel like he said something. This to is that why effect. you got to be on the transcription documents and contribute because I could just go in my in my Google like my Google subfolder right oh. now and just search floater and. That's up. true. Like, you don't you don't contribute. So you don't get, Listen, you don't get I only ask questions in the Zoom so that I can clip it for for for, for Twitter later on. Okay, so half the time I actually want to know something. The other half the time I just want to chat with Nick Durs and uh, yeah, 
Yeah. Well, I know how it goes, man. I play talk teachers, about baseball but... and. Oh man! I, every time you come on the the Zoom call with one of Nick's sweaters, man, I mean, that happened one time. Yeah, well, you know, Nick noticed, so. Yeah, and plus it was a city and color sweater, not a Nick Nurse sweater. Okay, but <laughs> unless, unless Nick Nurse is listening, in which case it's definitely a, a Nick Nurse sweater. But Nick, if you're listening, come on the podcast. I'm gonna reach out to you anyway, but come on the podcast, okay? Listen, I didn't yeah. uh, didn't ask all the questions all year to 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 not try to follow up and uh maybe capitalize but in any case um that does with the podcast uh you know me and you like to have ranted quite a bit honestly we could get easily to like two hours to talk but i mean realistically i don't think anyone wants that no it's better to split it up and then you can come on my podcast at some point in the off season we can i mean listen make all the same points and talk about all the same things again (laughs) i listen i'm ready hopefully you bring me out at a time where there's actual things to talk about if there's nothing to talk about then uh Maybe we can discuss. By the way, what, what, what's good with the Jays? What's what's good with the Jays? I thought they were going to be good. I was really hyped. Um, I mean, they're not bad. They're uh, they've been really, really injury bugged. Okay. Um, not they haven't had Springer like at all, and it's now like the that organization is so is like ten times worse than the Raptors for like honesty about injuries and stuff. Oh, so okay, great. Who knows? <laughs> Fantastic. But, like, they're three games over five hundred and have a, uh-huh. a really good run differential. Um, so they're they're hanging in there, but yeah, okay. they need, even, even if you got Springer and a couple of the bullpen arms back, like you probably need to address one of the rotation spots and maybe third base, but you've got like six weeks to the deadline still or seven weeks or something. Are, are there exciting guys to look out for? Obviously we know about Bo. We know about Vladdy, um, some of the other guys, but who is this new picture? I keep seeing Alec all the time. Yes. Is yeah. He, he's, he's he in- fun, man. Okay. So he's uh yeah, he's interesting because he basically has not pitched in the minor leagues. Like he's, uh, I think he's the second fastest guy from his draft class to make it to the majors. Um, so he's drafted in 2019. He pitched like 17 innings because you don't like you get drafted in late June mm-hmm. and then you get thrown into the minor league system later, um, but only partially. And then like last year, he lost his. There were no minor leagues last year. Okay. So they were in this weird position of like well, do we start his clock and, and have him pitch for the major league team? And they just needed him so much. And he was like, he was dominating the minors over, over the couple starts he had. Um, I don't know, man, P- young pitchers are going to take, like, you got to have patience with them. They're going to, they're going to show some cool stuff and they're going to get lit up some games. That's, that's the way it is when you're like Roy Halladay once posted the worst ERA in the history of baseball. And now, oh. uh, and then, then he became the greatest pitcher in franchise history probably. So yeah, there you go. You're gonna take some lumps, Alec Manoa. Um, what, what am I seeing here? 10.5 Ks per nine. I'm on fangraphs.com for the first time in like five years, go. at least. At least. Yeah. Now, this is see... this is great. This is the start of how Alex borrows your athletic login. You're gonna start boring my fangraphs login. We'll have like say, we'll, yeah. it'll eventually come full circle. Yeah, no, that's uh, uh I mean, to be honest, you know, if, if I got back into fantasy, I'd definitely get back into this kind of stuff. Um Okay, so yeah. Jay's, Jay's... He, he's good, man. His his bat missing profile is is really strong. Like he's going to get a lot of strikeouts. He's going to miss a lot of bats. But um, you know, right now he doesn't have elite command. Like he he's kind of in baseball. They tend to talk about guys as stuff and command. Yeah. So stuff is how well your pitches move. What's your velocity? That kind of stuff. And then command is how well are you locating. You know, if you're missing. Are you missing over the heart of the plate? Or are you missing outside? And mm-hmm. he grooved a couple sliders last night that he's he got really lucky, uh, didn't get pounced on. So he's going to give up some homers and stuff, especially because he throws so hard. But 
he's cool, man. He's a, he's definitely a guy. Okay. He's definitely a guy. That's good. That's good to know. Okay. So will Jays make the playoffs? Are we going to keep the playoff streak going, man? Come on. I, those two games in Buffalo Uh, last year were just like, I I need that again. I mean, not in that same fashion, but I, I need that again. Yeah. The tough part is their division's very good. So I mean, this is the same story every year, though. I know, but like right now they're in fourth in the division, even fourth out of five, even though they're three games over five hundred. Yeah, they do have. It's kind of if you if you want to be optimistic, um, they're in the midst of a a pretty tough stretch of schedule right now. Mm -hmm. But they are. I actually think they've played the toughest schedule in baseball so far. but they haven't played any of their games yet against the Baltimore Orioles, who are maybe Ooh. the worst team in the American League. And nice, so they nice. get 19 against them. And then they also haven't played yet against the three really bad AL Central teams. So they have a, you know, you don't want to get too, you know, too thirsty over, uh, over the schedule getting easier and stuff. But they have, they've had a pretty tough one so far. So Okay. Okay. All right. Listen. They haven't. They basically haven't played any of the really bad teams yet. Well, listen. Once the NBA Except playoffs, for Texas maybe. But anyway. You, yeah. You well, no. This is great. Texas and 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 Baltimore being bad is 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 very uh, nice to hear. Is yeah. We just last need time I watched the Jays was like twenty fifteen. To slide down a little bit more too. Yeah. Exactly. Um, no, I was gonna say once the uh, listen once the NBA playoffs are done, once the WNBA is done, once the the the, the Euros are done, once the World Cup is done. Once or the, the World Cup, the uh, the Olympics. Once the um, the Olympic qualifying tournament is done, once summer league is done, then I will be there to watch the Jays, and I hope they're in the playoff race at that point. So, um, yeah, this is this is what baseball is the best for, right? Like it's it's the ultimate background stuff. Like it really, and I used yeah. to love like just listening to like the Jays on the radio. This is back when I was like. 18 19 like honestly like between like the age of 14 and age of 19 i probably listened to like at least half the jays games um on the radio and like that was just really nice to, to just listen to the game while you're doing other stuff because you could really not have to focus on the game that much yeah. it's, it's definitely i think the easiest sport to be a casual of right? exactly like, yeah, yeah like you can even even when you're there live like you just be drinking beers and talking to your friends and that's then... mostly what a best or what a that's mostly what a baseball yeah. game is like it's great you're not really looking pitch by pitch. Tell me half the time you can't even see where the ball is going. Like every time, like depending on where you're sitting in, in, in whatever arena you're going to, like if you're hitting a pop fly or like a, an actual home run, like half the time I can't tell. I don't even know what to cheer for until I actually see the ball go out or land or whatever. So yet everyone will still boo balls and strikes calls from the five. Absolutely. 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 <laughs> we we can't see if the ball's gonna leave the park, but we could tell that it was this might we could tell it caught the inside corner. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. Is there another cheating scandal going on in baseball? This is the thing. I, I see peripheral baseball things, like, from yeah. following, like, Jonah or whatever, and, like, Zoobs and you and, like, some other people. But, like, I don't really know what's going on. So, is there baseball cheating again? Like, how many times are people going to cheat in baseball? Like, is this right. just the most the most cheat possible sport? Yeah. So, it's, it's similar to, I mean, not as damaging, but, like, it's escalating in a way like the steroids did where like, Oh, it's an open secret. Everyone doctors the balls a little bit. Why though? Why is that an open secret? This is a real freaking problem. Like, but like it gets worse because like you, it it becomes the open secret that everyone doctors the balls a little bit. And then it's like, well, if I'm not doctoring the ball, I'm putting myself at a disadvantage. Like we heard this a ton when the steroid stuff came out is like how many guys were like, well, half my teammates were doing it. So like, I thought Mm. I had to, like I was going to fall behind or like if you're like there were way more guys on the fringes of rosters 
that got caught than like Barry Bonds types. Um, so yeah, right now it's a, it's a ball doctoring thing. Um, a lot of accusations from players and, and like off the record admittance from like execs and stuff like that. Uh, but I don't really know how you police it because like, th- like this is as old as baseball. Mm. Like there yeah, were always guys that doctored up the bar, like spitballs or, you know, a little habanero in the hat. So you, you rub it on your nose, you get the snot going and then you mix it with some sunscreen on your forearm and <laughs> what? See, whatever this, the formulas are. Not, a certain point, that's not a sport, man. That's have a, you ever watched a movie um, major league? Yes, I have. Of course. Yeah. So, you know, there's like the one old pitcher in that and mm-hmm. he's like, like explaining to the young guys. He's like, he's like, I got sunscreen here and I got a little Vagisil here and I got a little whatever. <laughs> he's, he's just like, his body is covered in random stuff. He uh, can use to doctor the ball and you put it in all these different places so that you're not going back to the same spot. Like if you keep touching the brim of your hat, that's how some guys have got caught before, you know, you keep touching the brim of hat and you look and there's like this big brown smudge underneath the brim of your hat like it's a little obvious mm. but if you're putting it everywhere i don't know and then you mix it with like the, the rosin bag so you like you get the wet and then you get the the powder and you can get kind of a, a tacky grip to it man these guys lot, must be man. these guys must be taking the nastiest showers like you know it, the, the, it's just have you ever uh, looked at jonah's nails before when he's stressed out no but it's probably exactly what all these guys hands look like instead of but instead of it being chewed down the uh-huh. nails are like long and like covered in like tar and gunk and stuff. Same same idea, but other right. end of the spectrum. That, see, that's amazing. Like, I I wish there was some element of, to to be able to cheat in, in basketball. Like, there's just, I guess it's just harder. But but like, how do they do this? Like, it everything's televised, right? Like, there's a million cameras. There's literally thousands of people around but watching like, it. Balls get disposed of like every couple pitches, and like, yeah. I don't know that it's like obvious enough like i've never examined a ball after i don't know if it's obvious enough that like you know if you've got a little sticky stuff on your fingertip to help you keep your your nail or or your front knuckle on the seam whatever the pitch is um and like get that extra little bit of spin like i don't know if the residue of that or whatever shows up enough on the seam of the baseball, like, I don't think it's like, like they're not taking like a handful of gunk and the ball turns Brown. Right. But like, so I don't know, like is the answer for like every ball that comes out of play, like there to be an off field umpire examining the ball. I don't really know. Hmm. Well, see, these are the conversations you only have in baseball. Cause again, like you can't cheat like this in most other sports. Like I just feel like, yeah, I mean, look in every football, they deflate the ball or whatever, but like, yeah. You, in every sport, you can cheat with, like, performance enhancers and stuff like that. And, like, obviously, Kawhi shot only went in because the magnets at Scotiabank uh, Arena. Absolutely. So you could cheat a little bit. But, yeah, you can't – imagine it comes out that, like, in that one game against the Milwaukee Bucks, Fred had doctored the basketball, and that's why he was so <laughs> shoot. That's why he was so hot shooting. That's what I'm saying. He like, used, like I... use the wide receiver sticky stuff that they put on their receiving gloves. Oh, man. That's what Bismarck Biamo needed. Was just some, <laughs> just just something to to add to the grip. Yeah, it's like that movie, that football movie, The Replacements, where the guy like can't let go of the ball because he's got too much sticky stuff on on his hands. That's... Yeah. So I mean, look, I, 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 honestly, cheating makes it more interesting. You know, shout out to uh, Eddie Guerrero. If I mean, not, look, you're, I, if you're I, not I cheating, yeah. you're not trying. Yeah, lie, cheat, and steal. The old, the old hit, hit yourself with the chair when the referee's back's turned, so you went by disqualification. <laughs> um, 
but no, like I, I do think there's like, I don't know if cheating is the right word, but there is stuff like this in other sports. Like, like it was only this year, really, that like the Gortat screen got outlawed. That's always been an illegal oh, yeah, yeah, screen. Right. Yeah. But like the guys no, got away like, with it. Come on. That's like within more... the game though. Like sure. this is, this is different. But like I'm just saying it's the same, it's the same kind of thing. There's just in basketball, there's not the same access to like, yeah, you can manipulate the tool of the sport all the time. Like, but like, I don't know. It's similar to like, is it all that different from the way Trey Young draws fouls? Yeah. I mean, there's like playing the game, like, but I feel like, like adding spiritually, it it's not yeah. all that different, right? Th- that's true. You're, you're that's taking true. the rules and the absolute extension of, of what's being allowed. And you're trying to nudge that as far as he, as possible until the league cracks down on it. No, like, <laughs> I, I respect it. I like to look at every single time I play a card game, I'm always trying to cheat. I, I always yeah. like, I know how to shuffle cards. I know how, I'm like pretty good with cards. So like, I'm always making myself the dealer. I always, you know, do some shuffle tricks, give myself an ace, whatever, you know, no, like, is, any is, game, man. But like, was it you that gave Assad those cards <laughs> to the screw me in the poker game? <laughs> oh man. Was that, was that you? Yeah. Remember you, you, you lost with like pocket rockets Kawhi? or something. Yeah, I had pocket aces and he had yeah. six nine or off suit or something like that. And he went in to be an idiot because it was six nine. And then he ended up like, uh, I think oh. he, yeah, I think he hit a straight on the uh, on the river or something like that. Yeah, and you put the Kawhi audio over it. Yeah, with the four yeah. shots, with the corresponding, with the the river, the flop, and whatever. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I hate you. Yeah. Well, listen, this is a pandemic, man. We got to get that back up. So, um, you know, that was that was like number one. That was the number one way I socialized. Was was playing yeah, for cards, a couple so. weeks there. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, I said we we're going to ramble, but then we we rambled anyway. So, Blake, thanks. Yeah, man. For everything that you do, um, you know, anything you uh you want people to look out for in the next like week, two weeks, three weeks. Not the usual, man. I'm actually I'm, I'm I don't know if I'm going to write next week. I I have maxed out my vacation time. So. Wow. I, uh, okay. Yeah, I'm not. I mean. Yeah, let's mm. not talk. We so, don't need so, to talk even, so even so. even capitalism said, yeah. you got to chill. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. All right. But no, I've had some pre-draft stuff come out, and it's fun. But like, yeah. you know, it's it, it is a little odd to have such a long off season. Okay, let's say the Raptors stay at, at let's say Raptors stay seven or eight or whatever in that range. Who who, who are you going with? In My the, favorite in, in that guy in that guy. range is Keon Johnson. Keon Johnson. Okay. I have I'm higher on Keon Johnson than most i think i i have him i had him ahead of kaminga on my like first board so i had him at five but i also like i like keon johnson and kai jones a lot because they're they're um like projection picks to me like like those are two guys that the chances of them failing is probably higher okay but given the raptors player development success and especially with a guy with like kai jones and keon johnson's like though that player archetype the amount of success the Raptors had developing those guys mm. I just think the ceiling on those guys is higher than the rest of that kind of third t- like there's if you tier it Cade Mobley Jalen Jalen maybe Kaminga mm. then that next year I think Keon and Kai have uh kind of a higher higher ultimate ceiling and, and at that point like none of those guys are probably stepping in and making a huge impact day one so swing for the fences I'm always I am always going to lean upside yeah. though Fair like you were like, you, you guys, drafted Berto four years in a row <laughs> yeah guys who are solid and can contribute like like Jakob Pertle was a good pick at number nine you could argue yeah. Sabonis or whatever but I don't know if Sabonis and Siakam can kind of develop in the same role at the same time I mean time, he would have been like, traded to to San Antonio anyway it wouldn't yeah. have made a difference yeah yeah and so like a Pertle pick is a 
is a good pick and like it's really great to get a, a long-term useful guy at number nine but like I don't know that a Jakob Pertle changes your ceiling at any point during his career right so mm. um that's your the rare lottery pick you get as a team that wants to be good year over year I'm looking for a ceiling raiser all right the only thing I will counter is Scotty Barnes and OJ Anobi and Pascal on the wing together is yeah. kind of nasty um, I mean, you could throw Moses Moody in that Scotty Barnes thing too. But like, there yeah, is not—he's not as big, but he's not thick though. Like, I, I you no, know, but I, he's a—he's a better shooter. He is definitely a better shooter uh, by a lot, actually. Yeah, but, uh, and like maybe the yeah. he might be like the mo- like the easiest projection three and D guy. But yeah, I do. He's Scottie like Barnes, Bridges. Like, it's Scotty maybe... Barnes does seem very Raptorsy though. That's what I'm saying. Like, I, I really do feel like again, like, if you have those three guys on the wing at all, yeah. it's, take, it's take the things nasty. Nurse liked about McCaw and Stanley. And then it's like, but but we're resetting the development clock so okay. that maybe maybe they can be. But he's six nine and has like a seven two wingspan. I don't know, man. These guys does, look man. ridiculous. Plus, people keep starting. They're they're bringing back the short shorts now, so everyone looks like a spider. Like anyway, sure. yeah. Anyway, um, that's my that's my draft analysis so far. Is that uh, Scotty Barnes is is terrifying defensively, possibly. Yeah. You and possibly. you and Kareem, that's Kareem's guy too. So I mean, it makes sense. Listen, he is a Raptor guy. Anyway, we'll, we'll, he is. He's very Raptors. Oh, we'll have to. I'll have to call you again once the uh, once we know what happens in the lottery. No, so. no, give it. Give those reps to the to the real draft guys like like Robel and okay uh, those guys. Yeah, there you go. So, all right, Blake, thanks for coming on. Follow Blake, right, buddy. Blake Murphy, ODC. You know, obviously, you know where Blake is. So, um, and then yeah, for listeners of the podcast, um, gonna have another podcast. Uh, just a Twitter mailbag probably on Sunday. So look out for questions then. And for now, thanks everyone for listening. And uh, yeah. Listen back on Sunday. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 